This week, we begin in Houston, where a young girl is found dead in the bayou. And despite national tragedies stealing the spotlight, local detectives persevere. Then we move to New Braunfels, where a 19th century murder may have a 21st century break in the case. Welcome to episode 37 of Texas 1031. had like the coughs in like no, a couple episodes this and like, this is like weird back. <laughs> <laughs> the coughs gross like sniffles. <laughs> what was it the first like crop of episodes i was either one or both of us was always chewing gum or something yes yeah. oh my god it's so obnoxious <laughs> it was me Go for it. Hey, everyone. This is Cassie and Hannah. This is Texas 1031. And this is a Texas true crime podcast. As you should know by now, we cover lesser known murder cases that have occurred in Texas. And Hannah's first this episode. But before we start, is there anything we want to recommend this week? Um, You can go first if you have something. I don't even have recommendations anymore. I just have things that I want to talk okay, about. Yep. <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm doing because I want to talk about how much I don't like AHS cult. We're like you I thought you were going to love it. The first episode made me very emotional because I relived the ele- election night over again. Right. But now we're about 5 episodes in and I'm just I don't understand what's happening happening oh okay i loved scary it scary enough okay but if you loved it um we're gonna keep watching it so okay it might get better because i know freak show didn't grab me immediately no, and I then i loved freak it show. i don't know it's just, oh, yeah. all right well never mind i thought you'd be into it because it's all yeah. the stuff you like oh i finished the handmaid's tale and you need to watch it okay i, I need good. to give you my hulu password <laughs> it's phenomenal what did i watch on hulu Oh, wait, I thought you didn't have Hulu. No, I got Jay's password. Oh, yeah, 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 good. Uh, H2O. Halloween H2O. No? Halloween H2O? Yeah, it was like the 20th anniversary, Josh Hartnett. Mm-mm. Hello? Mm-hmm. It was in like 1998. It was terrible. I haven't seen a lot of really good old campy, like, classics. I mean, neither have I, but I love that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's just me. Yeah, I need, I, I need to watch, like, the Halloweens I've watched are the Rob Zombies. Yeah, of course, I'm obviously. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the new one comes out in like a couple weeks. I'm so excited. Yeah, that'll be cool. Because that's wait. fucking Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in it, right? Yeah. yeah. And she's like old as shit. That's so, and she still looks killer. Yeah. Ha, killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just literally chewed all my nails off during that conversation about your service dog thing. Yeah. yeah. I just had to gripe about the fucking murderinos of Houston Page, bunch of bullshit ass fucking cunts. Yep. sometimes <laughs> so <laughs> i know we have listeners that are also part of that page so sorry just do better everyone be nicer yeah. it's god ridiculous yeah but we just spent forever ranting about that and i'm gonna start again 
So I need to stop and drink my wine. I'm just playing with the pile of nails. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So gross. It's a nervous habit. No, Um, I do it too. I have a mention that I found out today. I was listening to And That's Why We Drink. And an ad came on for a podcast called Dead Man Talking. Nope. It's about, uh, well, I don't know. It's just a trailer so far. But it's about Angel Resendez, the railroad killer that I was going to cover. So I'm not going to do that anymore because what the fuck? y'all can go listen to the whole thing. Damn it. We waited too long. Yeah, I definitely did. Whatever. It's that fine. sucks. Well, that's a big one. So right. it makes so sense. So it saves me time, I guess. Yeah. Damn it. Um, yeah, that was the only thing. Besides the October victims list, that was the only thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, and it's our one year oh, yeah, anniversary. Well. Yay. Yay. Just cool because I remember a year ago. It definitely wasn't a year ago today. It was a year ago, maybe three or four days from now. Mm -hmm. I listened to one of your first episodes. I think you did like two in one week or like. Yeah, I released like three in a week or something like that. I was listening to the one about, and I always remember their names, but now Cheryl and Andy are so forefront of my names. Um, The two that were killed by the gang. Jennifer Ertman and Elizabeth Pena. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just fucking crying. And I was like, I want to be a part of this. So can't believe that was a year ago. We'll go into the anniversary questions in a minute. Yeah, that's right. I forgot she did cute things. On the way over here, I was like (laughs) already kind of late. And I was like, I should stop and get like a little cake and a candle. It's like, that's going to be a 30 minute excursion (laughs) to eat sugar. Two bites of cake. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. October victims list. 10-10-2013, 10, 10, Bill Hall Jr. Oh, yeah. Um, Francis just got out. Yeah. 10-11-2011, Edwin Schar. 10-11-2016, Zuzu Verk. Oh, Zuzu. Yeah. 10-13-1984, Angela Smota. 10-30-1975, mm. Martha Moxley. And then our Halloween ones, 10-31-1974, Timothy O'Brien. 10-31-1981, Sister Today Benz, and then 10-31-1989, Sylvia Salinas. Yep. So, um, yeah, so let's, you want to do the questions? Yeah, that sounds, I'm excited. I have no idea what she has planned here. They're just really lame <clears throat> little uh, questions that I came up with. Just we like lame. Really quick, just to make uh, the, it kind of fun. Anyway, oh, I wanted, I wrote on here that I wanted to dedicate this episode to our friend Adam Silvers. Um. <laughs> So he and I had talked about doing a podcast together, and we realized we had nothing in common to talk about, So, which in turn made me make my own, which is now ours. So thanks, Adam. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Um, His episode where he did the, the guest story is still one of my favorites, because it's just <laughs> so forever. fucking funny. Yeah. Like, maybe we should do that every year. Maybe we should. We yeah. just talk about the same girl every time. Or maybe we just give him, like, vague information about a case <laughs> and he puts it together himself yeah, and we just go with whatever yeah, that's yeah. Funny. oh but and yeah so <laughs> dad joke dad joke yes. um okay question number one what has been your favorite case of yours and mine in the last 36 episodes uh, i know we were kind of asked this before but i figured it might have changed so Ooh. your favorite case of mine your favorite case of yours um it might have changed my first one that comes to mind is and i'm so bad with names i'm terrible they're my own cases and i don't remember (laughs) but the children um and mccallan who were 
decapitated by their parents. Brownsville? Brownsville? Was it Brownsville? Yep. Yeah, it's all the same Rubio? City. Yeah, the Rubio children. Yeah. I thought it was Rubio. Oh, yeah, McCallum. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah, like right yeah. there, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, the Rubio children, it's probably my favorite because it's just... That was the first one that I was really like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? It was horrifying. Yeah. And I think my first one with you, or my favorite one with you is Angie Simota. Yeah. Yeah. Because fuck Donald Best. Like, oh, yeah. To that, the ends of time. Yeah. And that really, I think, took us on a tangent, not tangent, more journey of how convicted rapists mm-hmm. get out. And yeah, I think they, the parole factor really uh-huh. like, hit us hard. Yeah, like, I think super so hard. Yeah. yeah. So what are yours? Um, let's see. I wrote them down. Um, so mine would be I had to think about this because at first I was like, oh, it's going to be Cheryl and Andy. That's always like my favorite because mm-hmm. it just will be. But I actually thought about it and I'm going to throw everyone a curveball. I'm going to say that mine is the case that I covered for our Christmas episode. Um, it's Roberto Rios and his children. But. I remember we speculated so hard about if those guys did it and if there was money involved and like who drove the car and why they were convicted on separate things. Like we went in hard on the complete questions and theories aspect and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I think that was one of my favorites just because of that. That's a good one. Um, and then hands down for yours, Jeffy Wright. That's sure. I, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew. Oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, because that's, love that's it. one that we talked about for like for weeks, weeks after. <laughs> yeah. And ironically, I think that was, did we pair that one with Angie Smoda? Yes, yeah. I think we did. I yeah, think we might have. I think so. That so maybe that whole episode, just which really is stuck. episode thirteen, <laughs> numbers. <laughs> um. All right, this one will be fun, and you're gonna have to help choose for mine. Okay. <clears throat> Mary fuck kill the Ooh. guys from last podcast on the left. Oh yes. <laughs> oh man, that's so hard. I love them all so much. I think I would uh oh, this is so hard. <laughs> I think I don't want to kill any of them. Oh, come on. I would maybe marry Henry Mm -hmm. because despite his alien rants and everything, he's 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 like a bag of fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would fuck Ben Kissel because it'd be interesting to be with a person that tall. Mm hmm. And I would kill Marcus, so I was the smartest person in the room, because Marcus is undoubtedly the smartest person in any room he's in. Those are good answers. Cool. Like okay. That. Yay. <laughs> okay. So um, mine is Mary Fuck Kill, True Crime Garage, the host of that, and then the host of Swindled, which Ooh. is Shay. <laughs> so I would marry the captain, mm-hmm. because he's such Saw a nerd coming. and super sweet and like big teddy bear. I would fuck Nick, yeah. because... Like for months before I Googled him, I thought he he was like this sexy silver fox. Yep. Because of his voice. But he's actually kind of just an average Joe, but whatever. No, he's still, they're both yeah. really good Yeah, they're looking. both super cute. Yeah. Yeah. They will be silver foxes yeah, in like 10 years. Oh, yeah. And I'd kill Shay for obvious reasons. Yeah. So. Shay. The worst. <laughs> just kidding. Go listen to Swindle. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, question number three. Biggest difference or differences in your life in a year because of the podcast? Ooh, that's a good one. Whether it's, I don't know, political views or personal opinion or I don't know, anything. I think I'm a little kinder and more empathetic 
I think mm-hmm. talking about this and like really because I remember when we first started, I was just kind of not drinking as like a book report, but I wasn't I was just scratching the surface with things and mm-hmm. wasn't really taking stuff in that kind of shows in the cases I chose. They were like, well, no, no, I don't think that I think it was maybe more of like, I'm going to tell a story. Yeah. You ready for yeah. some scary stuff or yeah. like, you know, blood and guts. Exactly. But, yeah. Now I'm like. Yeah, I think about things like I passed that car that was on fire on the Mm -hmm. way over here. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, I hope they're okay." Yeah. Normally, it kind of would have been like, that's really cool. So, (laughs) yeah, I think I'm definitely more empathetic. And that really. Yeah, that is. You uh, pause before certain things. Yeah, I I think about what my knee jerk reaction is Mm -hmm. and it's slowly changing to not. To being a good thing first instead of me yeah. having to correct myself. So that's cool. Yeah. It's cool to think like that. What's yours? I agree. Um, I put that um, I feel like I kind of have like more confidence in myself as a person. Yeah. I like kind of feel, I don't know if, I feel proud of myself for actually sticking with something and doing something and it's not perfect and that's okay and mm-hmm. I'm not freaking out about it 24-7. And that I am okay with telling people that I have this podcast. Like before we were both so like, and I may not tell people the name of it, but I still am like, yeah, this is what we do. This is something that we have fun with. This is something I'm interested in. And I'm not afraid to say that or like, it's okay that a woman can like murder or whatever. And not that that's taboo anymore, but I don't know. It was for me for a long time. No. And I definitely like you. I feel like have grown as a person, grown into yourself more. Like you really are. You exude much more confidence and oh, self-assurance. Thanks, yeah. No, it's super cool. So that's, Aww. I think you hit the nail on the head. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Yay, Hannah. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> this one's kind of lighthearted. Uh, at least my answer for it was <laughs> lighthearted. <laughs> so last question. What did you not know about yourself until you started listening to yourself on this oh, podcast? God. I get so nasally stop that is what i is that said it? yes oh like oh, and i try to when i came back from colorado i had to stop myself because i was like brennan's gonna take an axe to my head because i am just rambling wow, on so annoying it was very specific because of my murder today yeah uh, okay yeah but yeah oh god that's just oh i'm an annoying person to listen to and i've done nothing to fix that so that's your answer too. well i put that i sounded very nasally and very valley girl like and i feel like i sound like i'm constantly in need of like an inhaler or an EpiPen, or and i also didn't realize how much i mumble Mm. like my mom always like you mumble and it's like well you can't hear but then i realized no it's bad (laughs) oh another thing i'm not good at Sharing the spotlight is a bad word, but I feel like I interrupt you a lot or I don't. Well, I know, but I feel like you you stop yourself in the middle of your questions and theories to see if I have anything. And then I'm like, yes. And then I just go. (laughs) And I don't do the same thing for you until the very end. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do you want to say anything? No, you're being too paranoid (laughs) and too difficult on your or whatever, hard on yourself. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was all I wanted to say or ask because I figured it'd be funny and maybe people cared that was cute yeah we like talking about ourselves yeah for sure well yeah 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 (laughs) um all right Kane, are you ready so um mine's kind of long but i'm not gonna cut out any of my ramblings i'm gonna do it all full force because it's the year anniversary yes 
Um, so I kind of struggled to decide on what case to do for the anniversary episode. As usual, I feel like I say that every time. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if I should branch out, do a spooky case, because I do have a couple spooky cases in mind. Um, and or like keep with my usual stuff. But everything kind of kept telling me to revisit the first case that I talked about. Episode one, um, the unsolved double murder of Cheryl Henry and Andy Atkinson, mm. as we all know by now. Why were the golf clubs there? <laughs> oh god oh man i can't get on that tangent uh, so rewind to several months ago when i read on one of my school's news board things like whatever that a woman named uh or who whose name is darkest shorten we're not gonna make fun of it it Mm-mm. is different but i was gonna no, say forensic not- files but she's a badass bitch so it doesn't matter uh she's gonna be giving or was gonna be giving a lecture slash seminar for the criminal justice students on campus oh and her name sounded all too familiar, so I went searching. Um, and here's a brief history on this woman, okay? Ooh. 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 I find out that Darkus Shorten joined the Houston Police Department in 1984, where she was assigned to the Central Patrol Division covering downtown and midtown Houston. In 1986, she was transferred to the Traffic and Accident Divi- Division, where she investigated vehicle fatalities, mm-hmm. speaking of that fire, mm-hmm. and accidents involving police vehicles. She also served in the Juvenile Division, handling cases involving juvenile suspects, and later went into working cases involving the physical and sexual abuse of children. Same. In 1989, she did a short stint as a vice officer conducting undercover operations in the area of solicitation of sex workers. Wow. Yeah. Like going undercover. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, She then joined the homicide division, serving as an investigator with the family violence unit and working family related criminal cases. She also worked on the murder squad where she investigated homicides and child death and kidnapping cases. (laughs) Almost done. She helped investigate and arrest uh, serial murderer LaMarquez McWilliams, who killed at least five women over three years here in Houston. And most notably, she was invaluable when arresting Bilford Dwight Junius, forensic files. Yeah, let's make fun of that. <laughs> a serial rapist accused of uh, nine assaults over a seven-year period in an area most Houstonians are familiar with, known as Acres Homes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, Darkest Shorten is assigned to the Cold Case Unit, which investigates thousands of unsolved murders in the Houston region. Coolest part is that she represents, uh, or sorry, she presents at homicide conferences, teaching the characteristics and evolution of a rapist to uh, a serial killer and providing case studies that offer insight into the mindset of a serial killer. Like, okay. Please, you're going to this lecture, right? No, it happened last year. Damn I it. Know. Oh my God. Right. She sounds like she had the has had the coolest right career probably like most taxing career yeah um so like i said she is now with the cold case unit and is currently the assigned detective to the unsolved murder of cheryl and andy Mm. right and this all ties into the anniversary episode because she was also one of the two main detectives on the case i'll be covering this week darkest yeah, which is the murder of a four-year-old girl lovingly named angel doe in 2001 Angel Doe, like, the detectives named her that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. maybe. There are a few more weird coincidences when it comes to this case and the people involved, so hopefully you'll find them as amusing as I did. Um, the case of Angel Doe is covered in the last episode to ever be released in the two-season run of the show Real Detective. Oh. Right. It was a fucking great show. I'm sad it never came back, but um, I'll be referring to both the details and statements made in the show and the articles I read. So if there are parts on the show... The 
were done either for effect or whatever, and they're not true events. Sorry if it's not factual. I apologize now. Whatever. <laughs> so, picture it. September 9th, 2001. The Sunnyside area of South slash Southeast Houston. To paint a better picture for all those unfamiliar, Sunnyside's Wikipedia page states, <laughs> Sunnyside includes a landfill, an adjacent garbage incinerator, and several salvage lard- yards. The incinerator has since closed. So someone was really trying to spruce up the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's call it Sunnyside. <laughs> the most ironic part was that it said that the area was founded by a guy named H.H. H. Holmes, which I thought was hilarious because he's, you know, infamous serial killer. Of is, like, that the, what, is it eight. him? No, totally different guy, but still. What are the odds? I know. Oh, my God. Really weird, right? Uh, Sunnyside also had a syphilis outbreak in 2007. That's so recent. Right. Uh, it's home to close to 118 sex offenders without facilities to house those sex offenders. This is all on Wikipedia, man, so who knows if it's true. Yeah, and the fact that a facet of Houston has its own damn Wikipedia page means yeah. some shady shit happens. Oh, just wait. The FBI concluded that Sunnyside was number six on its list of the 25 most dangerous neighborhoods in the United States in 2013. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm looking it up. I almost rented a house there, actually. Oh, my God. No I was like, it's just kind of hood. This is really cheap. It was a nice house, but what else? Uh, and according to the ranking, every year each Sunnyside resident has a 1 in 11 chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime. So, if you're looking for a place to live, definitely consider it. Mm-hmm. It's sunny. <laughs> so, that's the kind of area that we're dealing with. And on the show, the story is told from the perspective of lead investigator Sergeant Clarence Douglas. Are you looking at it right now? <laughs> Oh, oh my God. That's right by the Mexican buffet <laughs> and Dago's Tattoos. No. Dago's is the place that you go to. It's I thought su- that was on 45. It is. Is there another one? Sunnyside is on the other side of 288. Oh, oh, this is Sunnyside. Ew, you know what that sounds like? You know what? Pause on this whole murder because you know what I fucking hate about my favorite murder is how they're like, yeah, you take the two blah blah down to the Pacific coast, yada yada. And like everything is based on directions in California. Uh-huh. And I'm like, we don't all fucking live there. Yeah, like dumb it down a little right. bit. And yeah. then it reminded me of the fucking SNL skit called The Californians, which yes. is literally all about that. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. I love that. Shout out to Alex Stewart. What are you doing here? Oh, OK. So 288. <laughs> oh, it's. Not too far from the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, so it's near. Okay. Oh God, Kane. It's by South Acres. Kane, it's all happening, Kane. Yeah, I, I've never been in that area before. I know why now. Yeah. Anyway, slight break. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So he is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah 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 blah. Lead investigator Sergeant Clarence Douglas. He is an accomplished and seasoned homicide detective out on a call, and he would be attending the crime scene with his new partner, Detective Darkus Shorten. Yeah! This was her first ever homicide case. Wow. Yeah. So, in the beginning of his interview, he emphasized that they were the only African-American homicide detectives to be placed in a partnership together. Fuck yeah. And opposite sexes, nonetheless. That shouldn't... Be, they, they shouldn't have been the first in 2001 right. ever. That's but what I was going to say. So he said awesome. uh, a lot was riding on the performance and yeah. investigative abilities even in 2001. So. Oh, my God. Ew, I terrible? can just think about what the old white bureaucrats are thinking about <laughs> two black people on the same team together. It's like, ew. Yeah, no. Fucking assholes. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> 
the area the two would arrive at was essentially a dumping spot for trash, furniture, car parts, whatever. Um, it's right near Sims Bayou. They would be escorted down to the water where they would be pointed in the direction of the body. One cop said, quote, it's wrapped in a blanket, to which Darkest replies with serious annoyance and concern. But the cop then follows up saying that they couldn't tell the sex of the child right okay. off the bat right. due to the facial damage that had been done from the elements and the animals in the area. Oh. Yeah. So supposedly some young boys had been riding their bikes around and kind of like playing in the area and stumbled upon the body. It's always young boys. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, based on the placement of the child's corpse, the two detectives believe that the person um, who left it there knew the victim. They knew that the offender could have put the body in the water and it would have been had drifted out to the gulf in no, in no time. But uh, instead, it was left out on the ground, um, almost as if the person responsible wanted it to be found. The child was also wrapped in a blanket, which shows the obvious factor of one. It was transported there, but also two, keeping it wrapped up could may even show signs of undoing or remorse, what have mm-hmm. you. Uh, autopsy results would show that the child was female. She was anywhere between four and six years of age. She had burns and bruises on her skin. She was visibly emaciated and she had missing and broken teeth. Wow. Her cause of death was blunt trauma to the head. At the time, her skin was so discolored from decomposition that they weren't even able to definitively determine her race to even create a profile of what she might look like. Clarence and Darkest sift through the missing persons reports in Houston, but none link back to any children that fit her description. They decide to branch out even further and create an out-of-state list of missing children with her characteristics. But they know it'll kind of take some time to compile that list. Um, So in the meantime, they just continue investigating. So they put together a bulletin with all the information they have on her and plan on releasing it to the public. But this is when um, Darkest names her Angel Doe. She didn't want to just say another whatever. She yep. was like, I want this to be meaningful. And so that's when she came up with it. Good for her. Yeah. Um, they obviously needed to have a photo to go along with her profile. But the only other pictures they had of her were of her at the dump site. Yeah. So this is when, coincidence number two or whatever, Darkest reaches out to none other than Lois fucking Gibson. Yeah. Yay. I was like, I don't know. I can't say her name, but I know what you're about to say. <laughs> we know you're bad with names. Facial okay. reconstruction yeah. thingy. I thought he was just going to leave it at facials. Wow. <laughs> uh, all right. Never mind. My mind went somewhere else. Facials. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, this is now the 800th time that I've mentioned this lady. Refresher, this woman was friends with the mother of our dear fan and friend, Laura from Austin. Yep. Laura. <laughs> Lois got into forensic artistry because of her own rape when she was in her 20s and has since helped police solve over a thousand cases with her sketches since 1989. And in 2006, she published a book called Faces of Evil. And I will now read an excerpt from that book about the case of Angel Doe. Hey. All right. Quote, I didn't tear right into the envelope containing the hellish photographs. For a while, I busied myself with other tasks. They needed to be done, but mostly I was working up my courage. Ask any cop or emergency worker, and they will all tell you that when it comes to child victims, it's tough. Most of us have children of our own, and it's impossible to gaze at a murdered child without thinking of your own precious ones at home. But we steal ourselves to do what has to be done. After a few moments to collect myself, I reached for the envelope, pulled out the photos, and looked at them. I gasped. I'd never seen anything more horrible. The child had lain partially partially submerged in fetid water, her little face upturned to the elements in the Houston heat and humidity for more than two days. Animals uh, and the ravages of exposure had peeled away the skin from her face. 
Her eyeballs were missing as well as eyebrows. Most of her nose had been eaten off. Her lips were pulled back in a grotesque death grin. Several of her front teeth were missing and her tongue protruded, swollen from what remained of her lips. <sighs> from the black, curly hair on her head, the parts of, uh, parts of her neck and head that had not been submerged in the water and what remained of the skin on her body, I could see that she was African-American. From additional photographs taken at the autopsy, I could also see the starvation, the bruising, the burns, the torture. It was so overwhelming for... It was so overwhelming that for a long moment, I feared that I would not be able to go on, but I had to. She needed me. She was depending on me. Numbly, I pinned the ghastly photos onto the right-hand side of my drawing board, which rests on my aluminum Stanwright 500 easel. The human brain, I have learned, has a powerful ability to block out things it's not prepared to handle. In some cases, this can be a blessed coping ability, but I knew I didn't have that luxury. I have to be able to not just see the grisly scenes set before me but to look past it so that I can create something beautiful out of something horrific. So, bummer, but Man. hey, I thought that was a cool little yeah. part of her book that yeah. she got to write about. This is when I decided to Google the sketch of Lois, or sorry, the sketch that Lois did for Angel Doe yeah. to have for our social media. I started looking at her other sketches and photos of herself, which I'll post those as well because she was so fucking hot. Oh, my God. She was like <laughs> babe, mayor of Babetown. She was so pretty. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I started reading more articles on her. And as I sift through several of her sketches, I start to notice that her signature and date that she places kind of like on the middle slash bottom left of each of her drawings was like eerily familiar. And this is when it hit me that I don't just recognize her style and signature from the sketches she did. Like from um, Riley Ann Sawyer, she did that drawing. Um, and the Jennifer Shewitt girl that I mentioned a bunch of times. But she also sketched the man that was described to her as being the person who attacked the only other victim that's connected to the murders of Cheryl and Andy. Of course. Like, I don't remember that at all. Oh, man. She's been in this shit. Which, it makes sense because all, you know, it's all Houston cases, but it's just kind of crazy. No, it is. Right? No. And she's done such a good job in each of them because right. most of them have been solved. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys re- like recall or didn't start from the beginning of the podcast, but in episode one, I began with telling everyone about the rape of a woman that happened just a few months prior to Cheryl and Andy's murder. And in 2008, there was a match with the semen from her rape and the semen from Cheryl Henry's rape. So she remained anonymous, but Lois did draw up this sketch. So she, this guy is the only connection between the rape and their murders, like to this day. So kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> so the sketch was made. The press conference was set up for 10 a.m. that morning to go over this and submit this photo to the public, see what they could find. They had a paper that was going to run a story on Angel Doe for that uh, day's issue as well. And that day would just so happen to be Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Mm. So their whole plan to get this case put in the media was destroyed since all news coverage was going to be about 9-11 for, you know, weeks and months to come. Yep. Um, they decide that even in the midst of 9-11, um, they still have to, had to keep working and investigate Angel Doe's case. And during this time, they finally get that list that they had started out with, um, that compiled list of out-of-state children or missing children that matched Angel Doe's description. Um, the stack is like a foot and a half high, so they decide to kind of narrow it down within that and focus on unidentified victims. Okay. So this is where I got really confused, but I had to watch the episode like five times, no lie. Um, 
So they work this case for about seven months. And essentially just starting out, this case is already cold. So they're reaching Mm -hmm. at like every lead in any shape or form. So I guess this is why I thought it was weird. But like they're just trying to solve it. Okay. They find one single case of an unidentified girl in Angel Doe's age range. A four-year-old female victim found in the woods near Kansas City who was beheaded. Hence why she hadn't been identified. That was a bad joke. Sorry. Um, no, there was, no, I just, I had to stop. It wasn't was really like, a joke, but like, like a kind of beheaded? Was. Was no, it only no, no. her head? Yeah, no, this wasn't. is where, it, like I said, it gets really weird. According to Clarence, Darkus was a bit skeptical of traveling down this route because of how far away Angel Doe and this child were located and the MO of the entire killing. But Clarence believes that since neither of the parents in each case came forward to report the child missing, that possibly the girls are related and are victims of filicide. So, I mean, okay. if she was emaciated, 100% she was being abused in her home. For sure. But, I mean, that's, like, the biggest reach I've ever heard in my life. Yes. But, ironically, the girl who was beheaded in Kansas City was actually named Precious Doe. So, I thought that was a sweet little, like, oh Angel Doe Precious God. Doe. Oh, yeah, That makes me so sad. Yeah. I mean, what do they call kids that are unidentified i guess they come up with whatever yeah Yeah. i guess they do because we got jane doe john doe and then for babies everyone's like we have to give them a sweet yeah baby grace yeah riley and swords yeah yeah it's like you're you're gonna fucking (coughs) crumble if you have to call this tiny Mm -hmm. child a jane doe it's just so sad they request dna from kansas city in regards to precious doe to see if it's a match with angel doe more or less trying to confirm if the two girls are sisters and to see if there is a further connection between them In the midst of it all, they are still looking at missing children's reports from all across the U.S., and they stumble upon a place called the House of Prayer Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Red Mm. flag. Mm -hmm. The church was more or less a cult Mm -hmm. led by a tyrannical reverend. He would brainwash families into sending their children there, or even just, you know, talk them into abandoning their children at the church to be subjected to, like, endless torture. Oh, my God. Yeah, he would punish them relentlessly to keep them under control. But luckily, somehow, the church's secret got out, and the people running the church were all arrested and jailed for cruelty to children. Long story short. Good. Clarence and Darkus would find out that all but one of the children were rescued and placed in foster care after the church was raided. Brandy Hicks, a four-year-old girl, never made it home after her time at the House of Prayer. Her mother was Denisha Ellison from Houston fucking Texas. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Now they're on the hunt for Denisha in hopes that Brandy Hicks is their angel doe. Yeah. Right? So they think, okay, Tulsa's close enough. They uh-huh. can whatever. Um, so they meet with Denisha. She agrees that the drawing of angel doe looks just like her daughter Brandy, chipped teeth and all. Uh, during her interview, they asked Denisha how she got involved with the House of Prayer, and she said she never was. She claims it was her own mother who was a member of the church and that she kidnapped Brandy and had given her over to the church. So okay. the grandmother. They get the results from the DNA test of both Denisha Ellison and Precious Doe, hoping either Angel Doe is Brandy Hicks, Denisha's missing daughter, or the sister of Precious Doe. Both come back negative. No relation to either. So I'm just going to say, hope that this poor, it's a poor woman who's like my fucking daughter. And like these people might have found her Mm -hmm. and I could rest. And Mm -hmm. just doesn't. It drudges all that shit up. And then they have two tiny children babies right. there. both of Ugh. their leads that they kind of were going with come up empty that's so crushing right so clarence and darkest are essentially back to square one 
This is when they decide that if they're going to start over, then they really need to start from the beginning. So they go all the way back to the scene of the crime to see if they missed anything in their original investigation. Wow, but almost seven months later? Well, I don't know when... It took seven months to actually resolve what happened. Okay. Not to find out who she was. Okay. Um, so they go back to find anything unusual, anything that might have been overlooked. And while at the dump site, they wander into the wooded area and realize that this dump site is very well known to the people in the area. In the show, they like see the kids that find uh, Angel Doe again. Mm. I don't oh. know if that really happened. But the kid is like, yeah, everyone is aware that this is back here. So okay. basically, they're trying to say that many people in the area come to like trade items, uh, find useless shit, whatever treasures, simply leave their trash there, whatever. Okay. Um, and they so reassessing the crime scene made them determine that whoever dumped Angel Doe's body was familiar with the area and probably lived in Sunnyside because to know that that place is there, you have to really know where it's at. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, that yeah. makes absolutely. Sense. It wasn't just like, hey, go to the local dump, y'all. Like, it's take your shit. Interesting that. They went so far reaching to like Kansas City first before like narrowing it down. Like, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like investigating a case no, like no, no, this no. at you, all. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like it, if it was a snake, it would have bit you like it was like right there yeah. in front of them. And yeah. so I think maybe that's kind of the issue. But yeah, like it's so obvious that mm-hmm. it can't be. The yeah. Thing. yeah. Well, and they had 9-11 working against them. That's true. Too, that's true. Media wise. Yeah. Um, so they know that the media is still focused on the World Trade Center, but they figure they could try and just keep it local, reach out solely to Houston and specifically to the Sunnyside area. The plea given during the press conference was uh, all in the name of Angel Doe. They beg- begged for someone to come forward to identify her so they could find her family, lay her to rest, and bring uh, her killer to justice. In an eerie twist of fate, Clarence would make the statement that the grandmother would be the one to identify this child. And he can, like, on TV, can be seen desperately trying to hold back tears when he's recalling this moment because he just says, I don't know why I said that. I don't know what came over me. I don't wasn't trying to make any insinuation, but the media took it and, like, ran with it. Hmm. And he's like, I, I don't understand why I said that. And okay. I thought maybe it was, like, a creepy reference to, like, Brandy Hicks' grandmother, right. that kind of thing. Um, but regardless, the press conference made an impact. It brought in several new leads, but the one that they focused on was from a woman named Joan Bell, and Joan wanted to meet with Clarence to discuss her granddaughter, whom she hadn't seen in quite some time. Mm. All right, so Joan tells Sergeant Douglas that she was watching TV one night, and her granddaughter's sketch uh, popped up on the screen. In the show, she said, I knew right away it was my Ray Ray. Oh, my God. Angel Doe would finally be identified as Raysat Knight. Six years old, the youngest child of Joan's daughter, Connie. Joan had been awarded custody of Raysat in 1996 after her mother, Connie, tested positive for drugs and didn't seek treatment. Like, this is the worst. Not this, just this part, just this whole thing is the worst. Mm. However, after a few years, Joan became ill and couldn't raise Raysat any longer without help, so she returned Connie and uh, she returned her to Connie and Connie's husband, Raymond Jefferson. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the last time Joan had seen Raysat was on Easter Sunday when the family had all been at church together. Um, at least in the show, Joan is quoted saying that Raysat had long ponytails, but when she saw her that day, it was like somebody had just grabbed them and cut them off. Oh, no. That's probably exactly what happened. Yeah. When Joan went to confront Connie about Raysat and why she hadn't seen her since Easter, 
The home was empty, and Joan had no idea where the couple had moved to and taken Risa and her four other grandchildren. Wow. Right. This is when Clarence and Darkus head to the last known address of Connie and Raymond. The house had already started to go undergo uh, renovations, so they initially believed that if the house was a crime scene, it had been seriously compromised. Yep. However, during the search, the two would discover a closet that contained the worst kind of evidence, which I'll get to shortly. <laughs> they contact Raymond's employer in Houston, who said that he had uh, recently quit, but gave them Raymond's forwarding address in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yes. Right. They bring Raymond and Connie to police headquarters in Lafayette to be interviewed. And before I go into arrests and charges and trial stuff, um, I'll go into what happened. So, 2003, three of Rayset's sisters would testify that this is how the story really goes. The last night they ever saw Rayset was when they witnessed Raymond Jefferson kick her so hard that she hit her head on a heater and started shaking. The cause of the kick varies from Rayset soiling herself to Raymond getting mad that she interrupted the TV show he had been watching or that she was to blame for the television volume being too loud. The sisters said Rayset had come to live with them only about a year before she died, but she was treated differently than the rest of the children. They claim... What? Was she not Raymond's child? We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, they claim that after she returned from living with their grandmother, Rayset had nice clothes and toys, things that they were never given. And as punishment, Rayset was forced to spend most of her time in a closet. No light, no bedding, and no food. This is the same spot where she was forced to use the bathroom. Oh my god. Clarence even speaks about small scratches on the walls of the closet, as well as handprints of feces on the walls. How do you do that to an animal, much less a human child? With, like, sweet, beautiful eyes and pigtails. Drugs. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when defense lawyer Keith Gross asked how often Raysat would use the bathroom on herself in the closet, one sister said, quote, as often as she had to use the bathroom. Oh, so she just, yeah. I, like, very close to Sylvia Likens. Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That is, that's one of, I can't even talk about that case. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. Google it. You'll be terrified for the oh rest of your God. life. Or watch the fucking movie with Ellen Page in it. I think it's American murder, something like that. American uh, crime. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. The girls said Ray that Rayset would get into trouble every time. They said that um, they would sometimes put their younger brother's training potty in the closet for Rayset to help her. Um, the two older sisters said that when their parents were gone or asleep, they would sneak Rayset out of the closet to feed her. One of the sisters recalls that their mother even whipped Rayset because she had slept under a blanket in bed with one of her siblings. Like, sneaked out and, like, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, just to have a a stitch of comfort and Mm -hmm. compassion. The sisters said they did not know why that Rayset had to stay in the closet. And when they asked why, Connie would tell them either, quote, because she didn't know how to act or, quote, that's where I want her to be. Later, Connie said that she saw her common-law husband, Raymond Jefferson, kick Rayset hard. When she did not get up, Connie said she tried to find a pulse and then put her in the bathtub in an effort to revive her. When their attempts failed, Connie said Raymond began packing his clothes, saying, quote, I'm not going to have any part of this. Connie said (laughs) she wanted to take Rayset's body to a hospital, but Raymond said no. She said she told him, quote, it wouldn't change the fact that Rayset's dead, but if I take her to a hospital, it won't look as bad. Sure. 
Instead, she dressed the child in nice clothes and wrapped her in a blanket. Following Raymond's directions, she drove, quote, to a really dark street with a lot of grass and ditches on the side. He picked her up, and the only thing I heard was a splash. It is contended that Raysat was not only confined to a closet, burned with cigarettes, and starved, but she was beaten with a belt and with a switch made from the thorny stem of a palm frond. I don't know what a palm frond is. I forgot to look it up. Like a but, palm tree, like a big old fucking... But it said the thorny stem? I think so, like... Okay, so think of a palm tree and how it's... The brown stuff kind of, like, comes out a little bit. Uh-huh. That's not, like, super soft. It's, like, a softer yeah, yeah. bark. So that's what I'm oh, picturing. Geez. That makes complete sense to me. Either way, Ugh. whatever it is, it sounds terrible. I could be completely wrong, but, yeah, it sounds horrifying. Yeah. This is good. Connie said she was addicted to crack cocaine when Raysat was born, so the child was also addicted. Yep. And had been aggressive and unmanageable almost from birth. Oh, oh, was she? Because you (laughs) birthed a baby addicted to hard drugs? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? As the behavior worsened, as Raysat got older, the couple became increasingly unable to deal with it, so Raysat's punishments became more severe. Oh, God. So when asked by the prosecutor why she and Raymond had not called child welfare authorities for help with Rayset, Connie blamed her, quote, pride and embarrassment and said she feared that the child would be taken from her again, just as she was a few years prior. Cool. So it's just better to shove her in a closet and right. starve her to death yeah, yeah, and yeah. beat her mercilessly. And cool. I don't know if it was one of those things of clearly not because she obviously took part in it, but I kind of wanted to give her the benefit of the benefit of the doubt and think, all right, Raymond Jefferson's clearly fucking psychotic. Right. And so maybe she did it out of a fear based threat of her own, but she still took part in it. Yeah. I There's just, a difference I think she's between more sitting than back and letting things happen yeah. than participating. You yeah. Know? Cause to stay back and let things happen, you would yourself also have to be battered. Mm-hmm. And if this, this is a, a choice that she made every day. Right. Yeah. When asked why she didn't call 911 the night Reset died, Connie said she was afraid of going to jail and thought the girl was dead already. <laughs> was it? Nice. Okay. The next morning she said, quote, I did go back and I was going to get her out of that ditch. But every time I turned down the, that street, I saw people and I was afraid they'd see me. Good reason. Mm-hmm. Connie was arrested, uh, officially arrested, in March of 2002 and would uh, initially take full responsibility for Raysat's murder. A year later, in 2003, she would eventually testify against Raymond Jefferson and implicate him, uh, implicate his involvement. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Talk. Connie Knight was convicted of injury to a child and sentenced to 50 years in prison. She is currently at the Christina Melton Crane Unit in Gatesville, Texas. She was eligible for parole in 2007. And her latest release date is on 325-2052. Fuck her. Because Raymond denied knowing Raysat, like full-on denied knowing her, or having anything to do with her murder, <laughs> like, okay, he walked free for quite some time since Connie never included him in, you know, Raysat's murder and they had no evidence. Um, however, in 2003, he was finally convicted of injury to a child slash serious bodily injury. And was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. No! Okay. I'm sorry. Keep going. (laughs) Questions and theories. He is at the Darrington unit in, is it Rosharan? 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 Did I I tell you about that? Did Mm -mm. you see my Snapchat? Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Major sidebar. I was at a bingo event. Nice. And I was like announcing it on, you know, the microphone for the brewery. And I got a call from that city. And over the loudspeaker, I go, huh, 
I just got a call from Rocheron, Texas. That's not a real place. Rocheron? That's how you say it? That's how I said it. That's how I said it. (laughs) Everyone turned around and like the whole place got quiet and someone said, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. That's not like how. I was like, what? I've never heard of that scene before. And they said, uh, what is it? Rocheron? I think it's how it is. Rosharon. I said Rosharon. Rosharon. I think Rosharon is it. But yeah, it's not what I said at all. And Rosharon. I was shamed for not knowing of this like bump. I'm not going to talk ill about this town because it's in Katy. <laughs> like, ill. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it sounded it's like, like close to Katy. It sounded like West Texas, but all right. Yeah, it sounds like a place I don't give a shit about. So why would I know right. that? So I'm. That's funny. So glad you struggle with the pronunciation <laughs> of that. I never heard of it it's, twice in it one week. It could be totally, you never know. There's like eight different pronunciations. Whatever. Yeah, people say Blanco, Blanco, Guadalupe, yeah. Guadalupe. Like, fuck off. He's in some city. Rochamon. Contrary to popular belief, Raymond was not the father of Raysette. Uh, no, I, yeah. This is good. He wasn't even told about that little fact until during his trial. Holy shit. So wait, he thought he was doing that to his own Right. Child. That's what I wrote too. That like, whoa, it's kind of all the more terrible in my opinion, because he thought all along that he was her dad and still abused and murdered her. Yeah. And I think it's great that they just kind of put a gag order on that whole aspect of it because mm-hmm. it was like kind of a big uh, yeah, slap like, in the face. Oh, by the way, fuck you. You yeah. want your father, you piece of shit. <laughs> Or that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clarence Douglas raised, or Clarence Douglas raised the money to purchase a headstone and gravesite for Raysat, and is known to visit her often. Oh my god! I know it was like really sad. Um, she would have turned twenty three on May twentieth of this year. Oh my god, she's like our age, mm-hmm. baby. In two thousand five, two years after Connie and Raymond were put on trial, Clarence Douglas would retire from the HPD, and in two thousand seven. He was consulted the day they found a blue storage container floating in Galveston with which the victim inside would later be identified as Baby Grace or Riley Ann Sawyers. Oh, my God. Episode 11. <laughs> trifecta of I know. terrible, horrifying right. case. Not even a trifecta. It's like a double trifecta because there's so many that. So many weird, like I said. Yeah, the, yeah sketches. Ugh. Um, Clarence and Darkest remain close friends to this day. And um, that's really it. That was the tragic recount of abuse and murder of Race at Night and all the weird connections in between. I really don't have any questions and theories. I just kind of wanted to tell her story. So. I'm glad you did because that's horrifying. Yeah. And I mean, to hear these cops going off of absolutely nothing and just working and working and working. It's like they mm-hmm. they really, really felt a connection to oh, well, baby. Well, and think about like all of the, the the weird tangents that they went down and all those, you know, fruitless leads that they, you know, went after with Kansas City and all these missing children and unidentified children and the Tulsa church thing. It all circled back. Yeah. And inadvertently forced them to figure out who she was, you yeah. know? And fucking terrorist yet again ruining Ruin everything. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. I'm so. They could have solved this probably long before. Oh if yeah. That hadn't happened. Probably. Grandma obviously is. Mm-hmm. I mean, poor Joan. She's just yeah. suffering because she. Yeah. I mean, it's not her fault that none of this is her fault. She yeah. she had a shitty daughter and she got too old to take care. The only thing she maybe should have done. She didn't know is, where they moved to. You know what I mean? She didn't know who to call. Well, I, you know, give Ray Ray 
to foster care yeah. but that's not any better that's it's not yeah i don't know really what she was thinking with that one because i mean it maybe was she, she was her daughter had recovered maybe yeah you're right maybe she kind of had maybe and, raymond was really charming uh-huh. mm-hmm. i mean they had four of their kids together and all those kids were fine and right the weirdest part and they play this in the show um and i wanted to record it maybe i can and like actually play it when i release the episode but yeah the children, like I said, come forward and testify against their parents, which them. is a huge thing. Yes. And it was really cool because it wasn't they had, like I said, um, Connie took all the blame and Raymond walked free. But it wasn't until one of the sisters came back and said, I want to tell you guys something. Wow. And that's what really kind of sealed the deal on getting Raymond arrested and charged. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because Dargis had that history with family violence and, you know, children and child crimes and like dealing with all of that and so she was able to sit down with this little girl and it's on recording and oh my god it's so heartbreaking because she's like ray ray she she talks to me sometimes and she tells me that i need to help her and i need to tell her story and like oh my god it's so like i like oh it's terrible those her ray ray's siblings are as much of as much heroes as clarence and darkest are Mm -hmm. because they went out of their way and yeah. probably risked their own well-being oh, yeah. to help her and show her love and compassion. But I mean, think just, about it. They would have just been chilling at home with Raymond Jefferson while their mother was in prison and they would have probably eventually suffered the same. Oh, abuse. absolutely. And they were like, we have to do something right. about this. Yeah. Like the only question I have yeah. is why do you think they went for injury to a child rather than manslaughter or second degree murder? Because they couldn't prove it was him. Mm, like there was no other witness i mean there was but there wasn't like the kids said they witnessed it but then there was discrepancies there within i think that they wanted to at least they probably knew we can get the jury to believe that he kicked this girl and caused her to hit her head and die we can't prove that he did it on purpose with any intent even though there's obvious signs of abuse it's difficult to sway a jury when there's still reasonable doubt in that department yeah, and I guess Clarence and Darkest really did kind of stumble on the closet. Yeah. And they, they knew, like, yeah. 100% someone was kept in here. Yeah. So that is, unfortunately, I guess the only charge for that is injury to a child. Yeah, and I mean, a child. but it's like they didn't report her missing. That should be a part of it, too. And, like, clearly, mm-hmm. I don't know, you have the testimony from Connie and the kids, but I just think that there wasn't... There was no murder weapon because there wasn't there wasn't a murder weapon. Right. You know what I mean? By default of just kicking her, I guess, yeah. or whatever. But I, I don't know. This is one that I I really hope sees some media attention when one or both of them are up for their next parole hearing because mm-hmm. this is one that I would go out of my way to write in and you know request that they be held. I just no amount of quote-unquote rehabilitation or good behavior in prison can right the wrongs that they did right she lived for what four five years Mm -hmm. if we want to be generous with it her entire life was captivity Mm -hmm. torture no compassion no love like she's just a sweet innocent baby like that's they should never ever they should rot and die in prison there's a i can't remember what podcast covered it i get all this stuff confused I want to say it was a Generation Y, and they covered a case about, I think it was maybe in, like, Tennessee or Georgia, something similar to this, where this girl was completely abused and just terrible, terrible things. 
but she was killed in like the mom's apartment and there was like a massive like blood stain on the carpet kind of like jonathan foster mm. with mona nelson like i don't mm-hmm. know if anyone remembers that but like a like, burned carpet and they like cut it out yeah and she puts the kid and all the evidence in a suitcase and like makes this ask this her neighbor hey can you drive me to like this town like kind of a hot minute away like not close and she said that the woman driving said yeah sure and she said i smelled something kind of funny and she put the the shit in the trunk and the woman was wearing the the mom was wearing gloves and she thought that was weird it was like in the summertime I forget what year this was, but it made it kind of seem a little 80s, 90s mm-hmm. when I can remember. And the, she was like, yeah, just stop over here, like random town, random dumpster and just like dumped everything, body and all. And I for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was, but it was like a young black child, that kind of thing. And I kept waiting for that, thinking, oh, this is the same thing. But it wasn't. So this isn't the only fucked up shit case out there. No. Yeah. Of course not. This shit happens to it's the same. I get the same wave of emotion when I think of all the dogs that are mistreated and abused, not to say children or any way like dogs, but just thinking about all the children. And I just I have this compulsion. I want to save them all and help them all. But that's not possible at all. And so you just kind of have to resolve yourself to that's the way of the world for some people. It's like I don't even think about like saving of all saving all the kids. I just think about kind of person can do that i don't i truly don't really go through with it i can't even swap my dog's butt i can't do it (laughs) like in their dogs they can they're tougher i guess i don't know but they're not they're little babies like i cannot my i was spanked as a child all my siblings were spanked like with belts with buckles not a palm frond no right not a fucking palm frond but i will never if i have children ever lay my hands on them that's just not it's a precious little life, and it's your job to mold them and show them love and compassion so they can grow up and do great things in the world. You don't yeah. use corporal punishment. You talk to them. You don't lock them in a closet. You yeah. treat them. I don't. I, uh, I just don't understand. That was a, that's horrible. That's a horrible yeah. case. Fuck. Well, it had connections to the It did. It had a lot of really great connections. <laughs> it was in that, and I think that was good because it it's Otherwise, not it would have just been relief. extra shitty. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's just a little relief from it. Yeah. A little breakaways. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Um, anything else? That's... Fuck you, Raymond. Yeah. Fuck you, Connie. True. Die in prison. Rot in your cells. I hope you never feel an ounce of happiness for the rest of your life. <laughs> anything else for you to say? No, I'm good. You covered it. I'm going to pause really quick. <laughs> you all right? All right. Cool. Yes. So. This week, our suggestion for my story comes from none other than Rich Marini. Uh-huh. Marini. Yeah, it's Marini. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what I was going to say. Rich Marini. I don't either. Wonderful reporter who did the story about female in, females in true crime podcasting and all of that. Mm-hmm. So he's great. We like him. Um, so I got a lot of my information from an article he wrote about this. And then another, I think it was Texas Monthly. I got a lot of shit from. So, Dude, Texas Monthly always has the ugh, good shit. The best, yes. <laughs> the best. They had an excerpt from a really, 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 really old newspaper. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> that was like cartoon, y'all. That was like down from the depths, Kane. 
Get down. Get out of my life. Go so away. this week, I'm going to talk about the murder of Emma Volker. Volker. She, it's a German last name, so I'm supposed to say like that? Volker. V-O-E-L-C-K-E-R. Velker. Velker. It's probably yeah, Velker. Yeah, it's probably yep. Velker, yeah. Emma Velker. So this occurs in New Braunfels, Texas. July 22nd, 1874. Bringing it way back. <laughs> so. Do we have an exact year? Like, how many years ago that was? Because I don't do math. Um, 74 is Get your 26 out. years ago. I can do it. 26 years. What? Hold on. And then 100. Oh, 126 okay, plus 18 would be... Four thirty-four, one hundred and thirty-four years ago. Well, let me see. What did you say your answer was? One hundred and thirty-four. One hundred forty-four. All right, all right, all right. That nice. was, was close. It was yeah, close. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Close enough. All right. So, one hundred and forty-four years ago, making this the oldest case we've ever covered. <laughs> so, New Braunfels, eighteen seventy-four. Mm-hmm. The town pharmacist for Seguin. Named William Wilhelm. It's Wilhelm. Wilhelm. I'm oh just. I know you're right. You're absolutely yeah, right. right. Yeah, because they're it's New Braunfels. It's German. It's oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So Wilhelm Faust. <laughs> oh, holy fuck! That's German. <laughs> Wilhelm Faust. I was just making a joke. You're I'm, right, though. I know. I always look at that. So the town pharmacist for Seguin, Wilhelm Faust, um, which. Seguin is about 15 miles away from New Braunfels, had to go away for the evening. Um, not wanting his wife, Helene, to spend the night alone, he arranged for her to stay with their good family friends, um, the New Braunfels pharmacist, Julius Velker, and his family. So Julius was a German immigrant with four sons and so one So two daughter. pharmacists. Two pharmacists. Okay, okay, okay. So it was what I'm picturing because 15 miles um, by car is not that far away. By horse is about an hour. By car is about 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, we did, talk about horses. So how did, we, uh, how did you get that statistic? Not I read. I looked it. I looked. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I didn't know if it was just like your personal opinion. Or... So I figure that these are two small town pharmacists. They're probably the only pharmacists for mm-hmm. each town. So it's. They were yeah. networking with Biffs. each other. So, yeah, they were friends. They were frenzies. <laughs> um, so, Mrs. Helene Faust slept in 12-year-old Emma Velker's bed, while young Emma courteously slept in the trundle. So, Helene had stayed the night at this family's house before. Like I said, they were family friends. Mm-hmm. And usually, Helene slept in the trundle. So, for some reason, tonight they decided to switch. I imagine that. 12-year-old Emma is just being a sweetheart, and she's like, no, no, you take the bed. So late that night, on July 22nd, an intruder crept into the Velker home, entered into the sleeping lady's bedroom, and brutally murdered Emma with an axe. Mrs. Faust awoke and was also attacked, being struck between her eyes with the axe. She did live, but was rendered <gasps> blind for the rest of her life. Fuck. Which means she was also unable to identify. Oh her my murderer. god! Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that climactic moment there. No, no, because I have an excerpt to read from the Express News, which is the precursor, the 
19th century version of the San Antonio Express News. Oh, cute. Um, so they described the gruesome scene. Miss Velker's head was split ear to ear, and Mrs. Faust was cut once across the eyes. When she raised and cried out aloud and was pressed down again by the murderer and then received another cut in the forehead. So pretty gruesome, Jeez, pretty please. fucking brutal. So the killer was spooked and did get away, but the town was outraged at the senseless murder of this beautiful, like we have pictures of her, which is crazy for so long yeah. ago, but 12-year-old girl. Uh, many innocent people were actually lynched for this crime. But what? in November of the same year, the true murderer was caught. Dun, dun, dun. Wait, so you're saying that the justice system was flawed and arrested and tried and charged and convicted and put away someone who didn't do it? It's almost like that <laughs> is what's systemically wrong with the system from the very beginning. It's weird. Huh. Wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. Wow. It's not like we have any modern representations of that example. I'm just so smart that I thought about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Little Emma was, as most of you are probably thinking, why would she be? But she was not the target of this attack. She was just sleeping in the wrong bed. Hmm. The murderer. I don't know. Like a trundle switcheroo situation? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Because the murderer was Seguin, pharmacist. Wilhelm Faust. And the target was his wife, Irene. <gasps> Didn't see that coming. Yes. So he had taken extra care to ensure that his wife would sleep in the trundle. Um, he told her to be a good house guest, make sure that wow. Emma was in her bed. So that way he would be able to murder her and get out. So what? imagine his surprise when he lays an axe into tiny Emma. And it's his wife who stands up out of the bed, terrified and screaming. Could he just, like, not see at anything? I think, well, think about it. In the 1870s. It's like pitch black. Yeah. There's no electricity. Yeah. Or if there is, not every family has it. So there's no real street lights. There's no light except, like, the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, except, like, the moon. The moon. <laughs> <laughs> so it was probably way too dark for him to even get, um ambient lighting of any kind to like tell who was there yeah so he was Wilhelm was in love with Helene's sister and needed Helene out of the way he was immediately a suspect but it wasn't until October 1875 October November late October early November 1875 that Wilhelm Faust was sentenced to life in prison for Emma's murder. He actually admitted to murdering Emma and to a few other murders <gasps> that I couldn't find about, of course. Wait, okay, he's a pharmacist. You'd think, no, like, no pun, but, like, wouldn't he have just, like, poisoned people? That could have been it. I honestly think that could have been it. So, I don't, I don't know. know. Whatever. Oh, yeah. that was weird. We said that. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't find the other murders, but locals were enraged and actually tried to lynch him during the trial. So they had to move him to a new jail. Um, but the following year, July 28th of 1876, Wilhelm was shot and killed by an unknown gunman through the window of his cell. Whoa. Probably Emma's father. Yeah. That's total act of vengeance right there. That person was never found or prosecuted and i think pretty much the whole town was like uh yeah, yeah we fine. don't care yeah. yeah but 
Till her dying day, Helene refused to believe that it was indeed her husband that maimed her and murdered Emma. So that's really sad. Jeez. Um, and now before we go into part two of this tragic story. There's part two? Oh, there's part two. We are going to read Emma Velker's eulogy. Or obituary. Obituary. That's the word. So this was cu- recovered from the Galveston News in July 25th, 1874. So this is the actual um, news story. Miss Emma Velker, the only and beloved daughter of Julius and Louise Velker, who was so brutally murdered here a few days ago, was buried here today at 8 o'clock with musical honors by the band of this place. What? I don't understand. Band of this place. What a name. There's just one town band. Just like Catchy. this one town pharmacist. Oh, oh, I thought it was like the Oh, no, like they didn't the have band, band names back then. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Her burial was one of the largest ever known in the country. Every wow. man, woman, and child who could possibly go went out, and tears were standing in every person's eyes when they formed in the procession, which was three miles long. Holy fuck. Her many friends will mourn her loss forever. She was about 13 years old, the only daughter, and the light of the family who will never get over the loss of their only daughter, upon whom they always looked with happiness and pride. A lot of run-on sentences in 1824. <laughs> Sorry, this is serious. She was useful in every way to her mother and father, and therefore she will be missed much more. Mrs. Faust is still alive, but there is hardly any hope of her recovery. Several persons have been arrested, but there is no clue to the perpetrator as yet. The people are wild over the horrible occurrence. There are several rumors on what caused the horrible murder, but it would not be wise to publish them. We'll keep you posted. Wow. Yeah. So obviously this town was outraged. Something that this never happened in this German settlement town, you know. Um... So three miles. I'm still like baffled at the turnout. So many people, because you know, papers. It, it's there's no radio really. I don't right, think, right, right. Then. There's it's just I don't know anything word of that. mouth papers. So yeah, the Velker family was a very well known family and well loved by everyone. So that's crazy. Yeah, and this motherfucker took advantage of their kindness of letting him their his wife in with them and decided that was the opportune moment to murder her right in their home and the only reason let me like circle back just to, so i have the facts straight the only reason why they considered him as a suspect was because he admitted to it right yeah that was fuzzy because but he confessed to it though or he did yeah. confess to it he 100 okay. did so that brings us to part two yes case closed right for sure not according to Aaron O. Wallace Giddy, co-owner of the Magnolia Hotel in Seguin. Forensic Files. Yes. The hotel that Wilhelm stayed at and, um, okay, so, sorry, I fucked that up. <laughs> so, we'll just start over. <laughs> Case closed, right? <laughs> really start over. <laughs> really start over. I fucked it all up. There's a sentence progression that I just fucking yeah, forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. Case is not closed, not according to Aaron O. Wallace Giddy. Forensic Files. Thank you. Co-owner of the Magnolia Hotel Wilhelm stayed at in Seguin and self-proclaimed medium. Huh. So Aaron claims that Emma and Helene haunt the hotel's halls. Cool. She actually wrote the book Mysteries of the Magnolia Hotel, 
Um, she's part historian, part Oh, it's medium. a woman. It's a woman. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, Erin. Um, so she also wrote other books, true crime, ghosty books, because the Magnolia Hotel, as most of you probably know, is haunted. Mm-hmm. So she heard about a, Erin, heard about a young girl's ghost wandering about in New Braunfels. Um, fuck, New Braunfels. <laughs> I wrote New Braunfels. Oh, you even wrote it. I even wrote it, it incorrectly. Oh, Jesus, good. God. <laughs> so she heard about this ghost um, and somehow, I guess, had known in her, I think what she had done was researched the Magnolia Hotel's history who had stayed there because it's been open since the 1850s. Okay. So I think that's what she did. She was digging into the rich history of this hotel that her and her husband had bought and were renovating um, and found out about Wilhelm Faust, who is known as a serial killer because he did commit, he did, yeah, yeah. you know, um, confess to at least three murders. Um, so when she hears about this girl's ghost wandering in New Braunfels, she thinks it might be Emma. She does a little bit more research and realizes that the general path people seem to see her in is the path from the Velker's house and the cemetery where Emma's body is buried. So oh, yeah. she says in the book, Mysteries of the Magnolia Hotel, or in an interview with Rich, I couldn't figure out which one because it was a lot of quotes, a lot of skimming. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but she said that she thought Emma was heading back home. So during renovations on the Magnolia Hotel, Erin and her husband claimed to begin hearing doors slamming, furniture dragging, footsteps, and knocking at all hours of the night. They heard a young girl laughing as well, and then one day Erin saw her, Emma. She recognized her immediately from the pictures that she had dug up and found um, in her research, and although it was a faint silhouette, she knew it was Emma. But why in Seguin, some of you might be wondering, as I was. Um, so Erin said she and her husband visited Helene's grave in <gasps> Selma. And she... That's like a combination of the names. Exactly. <laughs> That's really what it is? No, 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 no. Oh, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> but it is. Um, so when they got to Helene's grave... Erin says that she felt an overwhelming presence, an overwhelming feeling of joy and happiness. And she heard Helene speaking to her and saying, turn the page. And so Uh. she took this to mean you need to keep researching um, what happened to Emma, keep researching what was going on in the town at the time. Mm -hmm. So she comes across some historical records um, of an MP. Devers, D-E-A-V-E-R-S, Devers, Devers, um, who died on June 26, 1879, four years after Emma's brutal murder. Um, This finding claims that he has a deathbed confession to the killing of Emma. Um, And what Aaron kind of concluded from that is that he, well, she had proof records guest records that he had been staying at the magnolia hotel at the same time that wilhelm was this devers guy this devers guy so he was staying at their hotel the same time that wilhelm was and the story was wilhelm stole the horse from the owner of the hotel rode the hour-long trek to new (laughs) Braunfels. there it is (laughs) murdered 
what he thought was his wife, realized it wasn't, then murdered what he thought was murder, <laughs> uh-huh. his actual wife, came back and then went to bed in the hotel. That was the story. That was what happened. She believes that DP or MP Devers overheard that overheard that Faust was talking about the Velkers and how rich they were and how well off they were and he decided this would be his time to this would be an opportune moment for him to, to travel there and rob, uh, them, rob them. So Sure. I mean to be fair, traveling during that time, that era was going to take you long regardless of what your intent was. Yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, I guess. You right. I mean? And her reasoning and thinking that DP, MP, <laughs> going to do it all, double penetration, David. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I wasn't the only one. No, of course. I laughed at DP, but you didn't say anything at first. So MP Devers, <laughs> she thinks that that's more likely rather than Wilhelm traveling to and from Seguin, New Braunfels, without being seen or detected. Okay. We'll talk about that. Gidi feels like, Erin, Gidi, feels like she has now righted the wrong and has truly put Emma's soul to rest, which is why she feels that Emma is one of the six or so spirits that haunts the Magnolia Hotel. Um, maybe because she was the one who cracked the case, and that's what brought Emma's spirit to her hotel. Um, paranormal investigators for TV and not for TV have come to the Magnolia Hotel and said they've found unusual happenings there. Um, full disclosure, the Geedies do conduct and make about $500 off of each ghost tour at the Magnolia Hotel. Um, last I looked, and I didn't... I was looking at the article. I'll have to look it up on their actual website. I don't believe they are open for uh, overnight stays yet. But what they're doing is... Wait, it's a hotel, but you can't stay overnight? Right, because they're restoring it to its original. Okay, so this was recent as fuck. Yes, yeah. The 1850 ballroom is being reconstructed. Okay, I thought this Um, was like a few years ago. Magnolia Hotel. There we go. So we'll just look that up real quick. So it's at 203 South Crockett Street in Seguin, Texas. It is the Haunted Magnolia Hotel. (laughs) So they do free tours um, on holidays and stuff. But otherwise they make 500 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise they offer, it's $20 a person. They cap it off at 20 people. Yeah. And they make a lot of money. Um, They have a nice excerpt about their history. Um, of course, Erin does claim to be a medium, so she does claim right. to be susceptible to these otherworldly energies within the hotel. Or what do they call They call them sensitives now? Yeah. Right? I Isn't think that they like do. a PC yeah. term? Yep. Um, it's been featured on Ghost Adventures, Aftershock, Nick Groff's Tour, When Ghosts Attack, <sighs> Ghost Brothers, Strange Town. Um, and it was voted. <laughs> In 2012, it was placed on Texas' most endangered list. What? Um, like an yeah. animal? Right. Okay. <laughs> and it wasn't until 2013 that the Geedies purchased it and began renovating it. Okay. So um, from what I can see right now. Oh, it's now, taken that long to renovate stuff? That's I know. crazy. So you can rent the venue out for 
dinners, parties. They actually have some pictures of people catching orbs and ghosts. I'll let you guys look that up and come to your own conclusions. Uh Um, So, but yes, they do make money. She makes money off of her ghost books, off these ghost tours. So that leads us to questions and theories. My first one, do we believe sensitives or mediums? I personally am very, very, very open to the idea that energy does not die and it's possible. But I feel like for me to believe in ghosts and spirits, I would also have to believe in an afterlife and I don't. So I don't know how those correlate. So we'll kind of go line by line with some of these questions because it's not recent enough that we can really speculate. So we're just kind of speculating as everyone who watches Ghost Adventures does. Like, is it real? Is it fake? Is it all props? Is it, you know? Well, and I don't want to discredit if she is, you know, a medium, a sensitive, whatever you want to call it, clairvoyant. But I also think that, like, maybe she really is. But also maybe she decided to buy this place and make a profit from it because of the fact that she is. Right. And it could go hand in hand and be both. Which would be great. It's just like, like, I'm one of those people that think magic could be real. And, like, watching a sleight of hand magician, you're like, that's not possible. There was nothing. Like, how did he do that? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're born with this superpower, why not capitalize on it? Well, I mean, (laughs) not even, like, to take it that far. I mean, say you're good at singing and you want to make money off of it, so you become a singer. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just kind of like that. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. No. Do I – I think it was on one of the last MFM episodes where they asked, like, about, you know, uh, what did they ask? About – like about clairvoyance and um mm. we remember and we always like hypnosis and like that kind of thing oh mm. and they were like we believe it but we don't think it is great for criminal investigation yes you okay. know yeah, yeah yeah and so i think that's when it gets a little murky for me because mm-hmm. it's like yes i do think that it's real mm-hmm. because there's just too much evidence to to claim that it's not yeah and the whole afterlife issue for me is that maybe they don't go hand in hand as well. Like maybe right. everyone's just stuck in purgatory and we don't even know right. who, what the fuck ever. Yeah. But I do think that when it comes to criminal cases, I don't know if it should be a thing. Right. Yeah. It's too subjective. Like I could, I could see she actually being a medium uh-huh. and being susceptible to these energies that were yeah. not. And then I can also see twisting that a little and exaggerating a little yes. to make a profit. Yes. And, and when you think about it, ghost tours, stuff like that, if they are looking at it more as a history thing, and she said she felt really, really guilty saying that Wilhelm Faust was Emma's murderer all mm-hmm. these years, and she really wanted to write that wrong and say that M.P. Devers was. And so she was looking at it like she really cares about the history of it. So I'm so more inclined to want yeah. to know, yeah, yeah, to want to say that she's not just making a profit off of this and twisting Yeah, and trying to create another suspect for the fun of it all. But you never know. Because, I mean, that's kind of like full on libel, right? Or what is the written word? Yeah, no, that's libel. Right? Yeah, slanders. Slanders verbal. S- spoken, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, if she wrote that, I mean, even though the guy's dead, it doesn't matter. Whatever. It yeah. She fine. would have to write that as historical fiction. Right. Rather than a, a historical biography. Of yeah. The, yeah. So, I don't know. That's, it's, it really just depends on what you believe because it's one of those things, mm-hmm. kind of like with religion. Like, I can't see it. I can't hear it. I can't feel it. Like, 
Yeah. It's not real, but people believe in religion. So it's just what you believe and what you feel. So that's fine. Did Emma go to the Magnolia in gratitude? Did she go there because she felt a final resting place within Aaron for solving yeah. that murder for her and putting that bit of it to rest? I think that's possible if that's how we believe. If we believe that ghosts can be <sighs> sentient enough like that. Mm-hmm. Then sure, or if they're drawn to a type of energy. So she was drawn uh, 15 miles away to a town she may or may not have ever gone to in her living days. Probably did, but you don't know. Um, I mean, it might have been the, I mean, it, hypothetically, allegedly, whatever, was where her dad kind of, or the, the guy, sorry, not her dad, but the, the murderer. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Faust. Wilhelm Faust, yes. yeah really kind of plotted the whole thing right. did it came back and just kind of reveled in his glory you know yeah. what i mean so i mean maybe, so maybe she's there because of a vindication of like i'm right. gonna find him and that's where that sinister yeah. evil began right, 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 and yeah. so her energy was able to draw to it yeah, yeah maybe i don't know yeah um so now we go into the more the crime questions and theories I believe the Faust being in love with his sister-in-law theory mm-hmm. more than I believe someone traveling that far on a horse, a, 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 an hour on a horse yeah. to go rob someone when the house wasn't robbed. Because why would there be fatalities of sleeping, two sleeping women mm. when there are three other children in the house, another wife, and a husband? Why was nothing robbed? Why why did he go to that those women's rooms and murder them? That makes yeah. no sense to me. So that leads me to believe that it was Wilhelm Faust. Yeah. The specificity. Um, yeah. There's yeah. he had motive. He did admit to it, and so did this MP Devers, but we don't know what I he, thought she just assumed or thought that was her theory. It was on written record that he had oh yeah, yeah. he confessed to it or he whatever. confessed to it and Forced i'm not sure how specific hello exactly. but you could also make the argue argument that Wilhelm was given or he was did a forced confession, did a forced confession. but i think he had more motive right and it makes absolutely. more sense yeah um so i would really love to know who Wilhelm's other victims were i could not find that yeah i couldn't find who he i think emma like we like we heard, Emma got a ton of attention and it was a national case as much as it could be back then. Yeah. So I don't know if the other victims really got any, were given any clout or, I, I don't know. Clout? And, Is that the right word? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if he was given any clout for confessing to other victims. That clout was like a, it doesn't matter. What did happen? <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's a great word. I never hear it used. So, I, but I was like, I don't. Right. It's correct. It's fine. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> um, and then my last question theory: Could the Gitties be making this up for profit? I don't. I mean, uh, they're very obviously connected to this crime. Yeah, because of the Magnolia Hotel. Yeah. So, you know, believe what you want to about ghosts and mediums, and you know, I. I the crime itself happened. They're not making that up. Yeah. But the, the, the twist in it, the, yeah. the new development, she thinks, she believes that she has solved this case and righted it. I don't know. And to know. put your kind of career and all that in air quotes, if you will, on the line. Yeah. To create a new suspect and I don't know. 
that's a little risky, especially since you if you do fuck with the dead and you fuck with ghosts and spirits, like making up stuff probably isn't the best way to go. You know yeah, what I mean? That's true because that could lead to some <laughs> really bad energies. Right. And the article that Rich wrote was recent. It was yeah. in 2018. So I would be more inclined if it was written in 2013 or 2014 to say, yeah, she kind of dug this up and made these weird connections and stretches yeah. to kind of get this reported because they had just bought the Magnolia Hotel and they now, want press they, and they want people to come visit so they have money exactly. and yada yada. Yeah. Now, if they open up for overnight stays within the next couple of months, then that would maybe lead me to. We should go. That was my next visit. <laughs> like the second they open up for overnight stays, I want to be there. But I still, it's not far away at all. So Seguin is literally in between I San Antonio and Austin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so that's totally doable. So yeah, that's, I'm not discounting Aaron at all. I think all of us always and forever, you're either like a hard no or you're a skeptic, you know, like even the people that are like, I totally believe in spirits. Like you're still like, but I don't know. Everyone wants to believe in them because it's fun. Like we've always said, it's fun to be scared. It's fun to be creeped out. It's fun to just think of something else than your boring mundane life of human interaction. Yeah. And it's cool. Like I would totally go stay overnight. And if I heard things happening or whatever, like. I would, in my front brain, say, like, that's just part of the experience. They're doing this for fun, you know, like the hotel people. But in my back brain, in the real part of my brain, it'd be like, what the fuck? We need to get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Wait. Okay. Hold on. I need to look up. Okay. Have you heard of the Hinterkaifeck murders? Nope. All right. It's a family, a German family. This is immediately what I thought of. Oh, okay. It's a German family that gets, they're all slaughtered on their farm. And I think to like this day, no one knows who did it. Like they're, it's Ooh. uncertain if it was like a jealous lover or like an ex-employee or whatever. And that's just what I thought of. That's Ooh, all I really wanted to yes. say. That's all I, I wrote German family. Um, how did, did you ever mention how Helene died? Like. Obviously, she was blind, but did she have, like, a other, like, cause of death? No. She no. just lived out the rest of her days blind. Okay. And, yeah. Did she didn't see anything before she was hit? Or was, like, she was laying down and then she was, like, oh. Yeah, I think it was too dark and she maybe, like, either was laying down or sat up or got up. Yeah. And was met with an axe to the forehead immediately. So, and Emma was pretty much dead and yeah automatically well. yeah, yeah so there was no and he just like they find a murder weapon nothing like not that i know yeah, of it's all bullshit. probably not 1874 Dang, yeah we definitely need to go Jeez, that's no. creepy it's creepy good job rich thanks for suggesting yes. that. that was a good one a really good one i bet that was fun to research yeah. for you and for him too i mean that's because he got to research um a lot of the other like Texas hotels that make yeah. money off of being haunted and stuff and cool. Yeah. I want his I'm, job. I'm so into that. Like if I could afford to stay a night in the um oh, what's that hotel right by the Alamo that's really haunted? I don't know. Oh crap. Every time we go to the Alamo, we walk up because you can How walk- many times have you been to the Alamo? A few times. Well, Brennan's sister lives in <sighs> oh, okay, San Antonio, okay, okay. yeah. Oh, everyone at home is like, what the fuck? I know this hotel. Oh, it's right next to I've only to been to the Alamo, Alamo once, and I thought it was a lie. 
Oh, really? I don't know. I just thought it was kind of phony looking. The Crockett Hotel. <laughs> of course it is. The Crockett. <laughs> hey, it's... and wasn't the, the house on Crockett Street yes. or whatever? Yes. Yes, oh. So the Crockett Hotel. Wait a second. Wait, that can't be because it's only $100 a night. Oh, it's not the Crockett. It's the Manger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know I know it. about that one. Yeah. And Everyone knows about that one. That's only one hundred and forty. Wait, isn't that the one where like all the like women that were going to get married there, they kill themselves? I think so. Like all the brides. Yeah. The night of their wedding commit suicide or some shit. Or it's like their husbands leave them. They all call off the wedding. Let's see. Could be totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can like go and visit the Magnolia Hotel and then share a room at the Manger. Double M's. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Perfect. My stomach cannot stop growling to save his life. <laughs> Let's go eat. Uh, <laughs> cool. So. That was fun. I liked the the anniversary episode. It was good. It was a good one. Yay. Thanks for sticking with us for a year, guys. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Well. Well. That's going to wrap up episode, episode 37. You want to try and say specifically pertaining one more time? Specifically pertaining. <laughs> specifically pertains. There you go. I did it. Yay. <laughs> thank you guys for listening <laughs> uh where to find us on social media will be put in the show notes as well as where to donate to the podcast via paypal and we will be back next week with more texas true crime true that and yes. if anyone is listening happy, happy halloween. halloween yay one year. <laughs>